0: Welcome to the ACO Show. We are celebrating Allidade's fifth birthday, and for the show today, Joe and Josh are delighted to have a conversation with Dr. Mark McClellan and Farsad Mustashari about the past and future of accountable care organizations and value-based care. Farsad is a founder and the CEO of Allidade, and Mark is a former administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and former commissioner of the FDA. He previously served as a member of the President's Council of Economic Advisers and a Senior Director for Healthcare Policy at the White House. He is currently the Director of Duke's Margolis Center for Health Policy. We are delighted to have with us today Farzad Mustashari and Mark McClellan. Um, Mark, let's start with, as one of the architects of the idea of accountable care organizations, where did the idea come from? The idea really came from the
1: need for better ways to help clinicians do what they wanted to do for patients. So the basic idea of accountable care is to give clinicians more flexibility in how they deliver care, what, they, what resources they want to provide for their patients, but also more
0: accountability for getting the better results and keeping total cost of care down. And Farzad, you were there at the beginning as well, or near to the beginning. What's your recollection of how things got started? Uh, what, I, what I remember vividly is, I was, I was teasing Mark about this,
2: being in a room in New York City where we had gotten a thousand doctors, primary care doctors independent practice primary care doctors on an electronic health record focused on doing all those things for population health. And this call went out from Brookings and uh, Dartmouth saying, we're looking for, a co- this is a competition to select <laughs> to select accountable care organizations. And, and people were like, well, how much money do you make? And they were like, no money, no money. Just, right. just, I mean, it's just like I'm Tom Sawyer. You get a chance to make <laughs> the wall. <laughs> And and we were like, ooh, we want that. No money. We want that. We want to be like We want to be list. You know, be, be part of this thing. And, uh, and 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 they said, oh, who's your hospital? And, and we said, oh, we we don't have a hospital. We were just a ragtag group of primary care docs with a with the support layer. And, and they said, oh, you can't join. And I was crushed. I was so crushed. But then, when the legislation uh, that that Mark uh, really helped shape came out as part of the Affordable Care Act, um, it was amazing to see, and I was so glad to see it that uh, that you didn't need a hospital; that you could. It was just based on primary care.
1: That's right. I just add that um, this is a whole. This has been a learning process, and from that kind of feedback that we got from Farzad. And also from just thinking about what is the best way to implement this program technically, it became pretty clear that what you really needed was primary care physicians who were connected to patients. So uh, that's what the legislation ended up doing, and that's been a big focus of implementation going forward. Well, from the abstract of thinking about this just as an idea now to the
2: actual implementation of it, What are some of the biggest surprises um, that have come from that kernel of an idea to now seeing this in in the real world?
1: I'd be interested in Farzad's view on this too. Um, I'd say a couple of things. One is just how important the physician-led ACOs have been. Um, We, like we just talked about, we did view that as a potentially um, significant piece of the legislation, but when the Congressional Budget Office was doing its budget projections, when we were doing analyses, um, we did expect some savings and some significant improvements in care. We didn't expect that savings would be as tilted Mm -hmm. towards the smaller organizations as they turned out to be. And in retrospect, I think you can, can, can see why, it's uh, the the primary care groups really get a lot of payoff when they keep people out of the hospital and reduce yeah. unnecessary utilization. Whereas for the uh, hospital-based or hospital-affiliated ACOs, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. Now, there are some of those ACOs that have gone on uh, to, to make bigger changes on the hospital side, but it typically isn't possible, it wasn't possible with just the, the, the shared savings or the early stage versions of ACOs. The, the ones that have been more successful on the hospital side have had to do really bigger changes in financing so that they just don't get, um, so that it really does pay off for them too. Mm-hmm. To move away from the hospital days and to deliver care in the community and that's been a uh i think a tougher longer process one that, that's still ongoing i mean we still have both primary care led groups and and hospital groups that are that are trying to make this program work
2: the the, the surprise for me is how uh the goalposts have kind of moved on, on like what is success in, in an aco and, I actually think this has been an incredibly successful program. It's probably actually met its CBO score in terms mm-hmm. of savings, yeah. and yet the, 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 the kind of um, word that most policy folks would use or would have used until this most recent data was mixed. You know, it's kind of the results mm-hmm. have been... Eh, you know, not that not that impressive. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you actually look at what the, the CMS actuaries have said, like when a patient's in fee-for-service and they switch to Medicare Advantage, like they get some benefits, but it costs the government more than if they were to stay in fee-for-service. But when a patient goes from fee-for-service into an ACO arrangement, the government saves money, about 2%. Uh, and if they're in, in, a, yeah. in, in a physician-led ACO, it's even more. So th- that's a, that to me is, the surprise is that, the, program isn't seen as more
1: clearly a success. I think that's, that's too a function of um, just the challenges that we're continuing to face in this country around healthcare costs, uh, quality, and access. There are now a growing number of great examples and great stories of patients whose lives have been transform because they've been in aco programs uh, you've had some coverage at halidate about that uh, uh, farzad um, but unfortunately those stories are still not the typical experience of an american patient and i think this is a reminder that uh, we need to keep working hard to get it right and i think it's going to take further steps on the you're know, talking about medicare Advantage I think that's a that's a big part of the solution further steps there further steps on getting the ACO programs right. Um, Farzad I, and I were talking recently about getting specialist care more engaged uh, in these new care models. So we've still got a ways to go. And um, I, I agree with Farzad that we should at least see this as a glass
0: half full, uh, but we gotta keep filling up the glass. Uh, we're, we're not done yet. Yeah. Some of the things that were rolled out in the Affordable Care Act could use some tuning up, but it's been obviously very hard to get those through Congress because it's been so politicized. But One of the things that's been great to see in real time working uh, with a company that works in the accountable care space is that there are problems, and then year after year, they seem to be getting addressed and improved upon. Mm -hmm. What do you think has threaded that needle that that affordable care, that value-based care has not been such a hot-button issue?
1: Um, Again, I'd like to hear Farzad's thoughts on this, too, but this has stayed bipartisan because I think it's something that just isn't ideological from a, a Republican side. If you want less... Uh, government uh, regulation requirements, uh, ACO reforms, and value-based care are a really good thing because it really again, it's about more flexibility for healthcare providers to do what they think is best, but but being held accountable for the the results and for for keeping costs down while improving outcomes. And on the democratic side, it's a way to invigorate um, a uh, traditional entitlement that that does need to keep getting up to date with the. Changes in technology, you know, and maybe someday we'll have enough money to put in fee-for-service coverage for everything that every patient might need. The way to target that effectively, but in the meantime, um, ACOs have proven to be a boon, especially for some of the most vulnerable patients. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the
2: rare example where the, the the politicians don't have to make really hard choices. And given a chance, not to make really hard choices, they politicians will. will choose not to make they those really not. hard they choices. Right? So, so, right because you can you can control try to try to have a plan to reduce healthcare cost growth by paying doctors and hospitals less. That is not popular. Yeah. Yeah. it it would be effective to reduce costs, but it sure wouldn't be popular. Or you could give beneficiaries less. Right, yeah. that would not be popular. So. This is a way, really, when we say good for doctors, good for society, good for patients, it really is threading the needle.
1: And and maybe I'm betraying a little bit of my own philosophical views here, but I'd rather have the the doctors, the people who are closest to patients, making those decisions about how how money is being spent. Ideally, in close collaboration uh, with the patients too, because there's so many things that healthcare can do today, so many things that we'd like to pay for, including a lot of stuff, so it's not traditional healthcare, yeah. and for some people the, the most important thing for staying out of the hospital is, uh, uh, is a ride to their doctor's uh, appointment or uh, a home modification to prevent uh, asthma complications. Uh, those kinds of things are really hard to do in a, in a traditional fee-for-service government program, but they're increasingly important for getting the most value and the best health outcomes to, uh, to, to people. So I think there is some, some bipartisanship behind that kind of view. One of the most interesting things about the evolution of this
2: program and what we do here at Allidate is the role of uh, the extra governmental entities in making this happen. So the private sector here at Allidate, but also the think tank world and academia. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how important it was to be able to do some of this innovative thinking and planning outside of the government? Because you spent a lot of time inside the government as well.
1: Well, the, the, there are a lot of people in the government who are trying to do the right thing, but they definitely need as much help as they can get. and. Farzad and I first started working together when uh, he uh, showed up on our doorstep after leaving uh, government in 2013. Just uh, as forlorn as right, you could imagine, came uh, came came over to, to Brookings uh, while figuring out I think what he was going to do for the longer term. And it was a good example of uh, exactly what you said, kind of think tank analysis uh, uh, having impact on policy, but also on the on the private sector. Uh, Farzad led some uh, research and and a paper in the Journal of the American Medical Association that basically laid out the case. Uh, for not just for policymakers, but for the business community, uh, about why investing capital in supporting primary care practices to succeed in a program like the ACO program uh, was a good path forward on on all counts. And uh, I like to think that uh, that, that uh, little uh, um, uh, internship time at uh, Brookings for, for Farzad was uh, was an important step in helping to get uh, Allidate off the ground and and seeing the results that we're we're seeing now. And I just add to that that. Allidade has retained this kind of deep attention to getting policy right Um, uh, often commenting not with just the usual uh, uh, advocacy comments of you know give us more money and reduce the regulations but often commenting with some really thoughtful ideas about hey how certain government policies you know that haven't are intended to have an effect on, on outcomes and costs may not be quite getting there and how they can be done better. It's a a great example in public and private sectors
0: uh, um, uh, interaction. One of the parts of the uh, Accountable Care Organizations that has always really struck me as as quite brilliant is the way that it harnesses capitalism and venture capital money as a way to improve healthcare rather than just through good intentions. And it's it's grown quickly. I, I guess it's grown more quickly than Medicare Advantage in its first few years. Would you have foreseen that, that the, the, really the, the force that got behind it so quickly?
1: Well, it's, it's really rewarding to see. And I think it's a reflection of, as you said, the, the concept's a good one to, uh, to, to leverage private capital and investment to achieve um, very important public policy goals. Uh, but it's one that I think is going to be really important for the path forward. Um, We do at at Duke now a lot of work on global health, and um, there's a a huge gap between what's needed to provide uh, access in low- and middle-income countries to to good universal health coverage today and what public funds are able to provide, even with a lot of global donors. And this same kind of concept, of how you can use uh, public um, uh, regulatory guidance plus some public funding to seed and leverage private sector results to get them aligned with improving population outcomes and lowering costs, I think is becoming an increasingly important global goal as well, and it's, it's, it's just, uh, I think, absolutely critical for the future of uh, health policy here in the U.S. and, and increasingly around the world.
2: Uh, Mark, I, I'm not asking you to betray any confidences, <laughs> uh,
0: but hypothetically,
2: if one were to eavesdrop in on a conversation you may or may not have had with Alex Azar, Jennifer, <laughs> what, what what are the, the in, in your view, uh, in terms of Medicare policy and value-based care? That's the the, the the domain. In that domain, what do you think are some of the most important iterations, uh, evolutions of value-based care models that you think CMS, uh, you would advise CMS on?
1: Well, I think um, some of the things that they're... This is not just talking to me, but talking to uh, the, the the broader world and showing some of their actions. Uh, um, Alex Azar, Seema Verma, I would add uh, Adam Bowler, yeah. the CMMI director and secretary's principal advisor on value based care, um, all are saying the same things, which is that we need to move further and faster on value based care. And then they are, are, are all very much trying to. Uh, add to the existing policies and programs to support value-based care reforms. A uh, Recent example of this is the so-called direct contracting models, um, the uh, primary cares uh, uh, models that are intended to be, uh, I think, very much in line with the kind of ACO reforms, but for for smaller practices to give them a chance, to maybe even doing something more um, uh, bold and and um, uh, uh, more of a significant move away from fee for service where they can get you know, much or all of their uh, primary care payments upfront in return for some uh, again, accountability for, uh, at a small primary care practice level, you know, you, they're not insurance companies, but uh, you can expect some reductions in hospitalization rates for their patients. So, so that's a, that, that's a good example of a new idea. Um, I think they're, they'd like to extend some of these same ideas into specialized care. So maybe for um, patients with end-stage renal disease or chronic kidney disease, where our payment systems today just don't do a good mm-hmm. job of, Um, uh, encouraging steps to prevent disease progression, or to encourage uh, alternatives to dialysis dialysis in facilities. And it's all this same principle uh, of taking money that's tied to performing certain services and institutions and hospitals especially, and giving providers a chance to uh, use it in different ways. The hard part for all of this, of course, is getting the regulations through and out. And, um, uh, I know, uh, you know it's, it's not just a matter of what uh, uh, even the HHS secretary wants to do, but there's OMB clearance and other processes as well uh, that take time. But there's also just the importance of getting the details and the supports right. So uh, I think um, uh, that the entire CMS HHS team is interested in uh, learning lessons from places like Alabade that have been successful, and and uh, I think they're planning on expanding some some work as far as that. I hope you stay involved in in uh, sharing lessons from the private sector and trying to get more public and private alignment around what's working and in uh, payment reform, and all of as reflection of. Um, this continued commitment that was true in the last administration and it's kind of reinforced, maybe taking some new directions in this one, uh, that we need to move away from fee-for-service care. We need to support uh, providers and work with the private sector to, to set up new systems that can get better outcomes at a lower cost, and, and we need to get our policies right to support all of that. So what is, what's number one and two on your on
2: your wish list for that you think would help? move things in the right direction Um,
1: so i I think the steps that we're going are uh are are in the right direction i'd like to see more directly on helping out the the people who are working in specialized care in the same way that we've done for primary care so today and if you want to do a new kind of primary care you've got the direct contracting model you've got the well-established aco program that gives you an opportunity if you're willing to take this on if you've got the supports in place to deliver care in a different way. That's just not the case today for many orthopedists or cancer doctors or cardiologists where much of their payment is really tied to uh, doing more procedures or or more imaging or or things that may be different than what the patients really need, which increasingly are care coordination with uh, primary care providers, maybe uh, behavioral uh, health programs, physical therapy, uh, um, uh, uh, working on risk factors. Um, just as in primary care, that hasn't been, wasn't paid for well traditionally. It's, it's not well supported mm-hmm. in many areas of specialized care today. So that's one. And then a second one is um, most of these payment reforms have been tried on kind of a voluntary Uh, basis within Medicare. We're now seeing a lot more experience about what works and what doesn't. Uh, Secretary Azar has talked about maybe it's time for some of these reforms to become mandatory. Mm -hmm. We're also seeing a lot of work in states like North Carolina where where Duke is based and is helping with these efforts to move the entire system away from fee-for-service not on a a fully voluntary basis at all but uh, the alignment across Medicaid and and, uh, commercial plans and uh, and, and uh, uh, Medicare as well. Um, I think it's time for those older steps. Yeah. I think you've had some experience with the, the
2: actuaries. They're very uh, careful people. And every time you have a voluntary program where some people win, some people lose, they will say, you're going to have selection. People yeah. who are going to make more money yeah. are going to come in, and the people who don't are not. And you're, you're, the taxpayer is going to lose unless you make it a mandatory program. So uh, as usual, uh, Mark, great great insights. Thanks so much for
1: joining us. Uh, great, great to be with you all, and uh, you know I'm I'm uh, here with Farzad on what is the fifth anniversary of Allidade, uh, going from I think it was uh, five employees and a, and, a, and a website that just barely made the launch uh, <laughs> five years ago to how many employees and how many patients are you reaching now? Half
2: a million uh,
1: patients in risk
2: contracts. I think we're the largest uh, enabler of, of physician-led ACOs in, in the country. Uh, and uh, I mean, like half the stakes uh, of 24 states uh-huh. 400 practices yeah and a uh, lot of people here at alladay who have their hearts uh, really behind uh,
1: enabling much better healthcare. thanks to you <laughs> great great to be here with you